Hey, this is Susan Green. Howdy, everybody. This is Colter Fleming. And welcome to the Backstage Travel Podcast. When I was a kid, this area had uh, the summer camp that I went to called Camp Fraser. It was previously known as Lion Country Safari. And then next door, it had this big water park. Okay, wait, is Lion Country Safari where you could drive through with animals out? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. I did. I went there. There you go. Before you Um, were born. Yeah, I think at some point in the 90s, it turned over to the summer camp and all the lions were gone. I Um, hope so. Yeah, they just still had like- Just throw those kids in there. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then behind that was this Irvine Meadows Amphitheater that was like the big local concert area. Well, anyway, fast forward 20 years and now it's a fancy development with- Baseball fields, soccer fields, apartments, condos, townhomes. And so a friend of mine lives over there and they had like this cute park. So it was interesting because I remember that as all that other stuff. And now that's all gone. Yeah. I remember going there because my parents, they love animals more than people. And we, I remember going, I went there like twice because my dad would go to LA a lot because he was in the film industry. So we would go there. I remember driving through there. You couldn't go. I mean, that's the only place outside going to Africa, you could drive through and have animals jump on your car. There's this, there's this interesting place in Texas that kind of had a similar vibe. It was down, it was down South below Fort Worth and they had like giraffes you could feed from your car and stuff like that. There's a few of those. What, what, isn't there something in Arizona like Bear? Yeah, there's Bear Arizona. So Bear Arizona is that way you, but you can, well, okay. You can go through sections and one, you can open your car, but I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, I have a picture of some kind of animal sticking his head in, but that's like, there's no like dangerous animals. (laughs) It's not like being in Africa. I'll tell you that. Like you go to Disney world and they're like, you're going on the Savannah and you're like, that's, I mean, there are real animals, but everything's kind of fake. So like they have like the termite mounds and they're fake. It's very different when you're in Africa and like you're in the car and I'm like, oh, I got to go potty. And the guy's like, okay, pulls over, pulls out a shotgun. <laughs> Let me walk you over to the anthill. And then you're like, here? Okay. Okay, here? <laughs> and he stands on the other side to make sure that no animals come in. Where did, where did you go? Where was your safari? Um, we went to, uh, South Africa and Botswana and I've been to Zimbabwe. Yeah. So I did like I, a day, I did like a day trip one and that, that was amazing. How many, how many days was yours? Um, when we went with my parents, it was 17, but we, that included Cape Town and the wineries, like where you were. And then, yeah. um, when we went last time we did South Africa, that was 12. So, um, you know, Zimbabwe, people go to because the falls, I guess it's really pretty. I wasn't really impressed with Zimbabwe. I like Botswana better. And it was funny. So the guy that was there, he kept going, Botswana, the Okavanga Delta has no fences. And I kept going, I never saw a fucking fence anywhere in South Africa. But he was like, (laughs) no, no, we have no fences. To this day, we're like, oh, no fences. Yeah, there's no fences. But Botswana um, was funny. It's the only time I've ever seen my husband get angry, almost ever, was we um, we were flying back and they you go Maun. I don't know if it's the capital. I really should know that. But you go into the airport and the there's one airplane. <laughs> so you go from this little airplane to like the airplane of like 50 to go back to Johannesburg to fly home. This is the end of our trip. The people act like they don't speak English. And our plane is delayed. And then the lady's like, oh, no, uh, no, sorry. Oh, no, no. And she like walks back into this room and we lose our seats. And Dan's like, no, no. I just saw you speak English to those people. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh. I had like never seen him do that. So we sat in, you had to walk across a cattle grate because that's always good outside a airport. And we sat at a bar 
for 17 hours and learned uh-huh. about cricket. <laughs> and they oh gave God. us free food and drinks. And then we had to go back and we had to change, I had to change all of our flights. Um, it was funny. There's a, there was a little travel agency on that street. I walk in and as soon as they see that the flights are changed, like everyone's coming over, they put the close sign on and they turn their lights off. <laughs> and I went, Oh, oh. They didn't need you the don't want to help us. Anyway. No, yeah. no. And then the cows start walking down the street. My mom's like, I guess we're getting drunk at the bar. And then we go in there and these totally attractive South African guys. And I'm like, okay, I don't get cricket. I love baseball. And we sat there literally for 17 hours eating fried food and drinking. And then we got on our plane and flew back and went back the next day. So yeah, it was fun. Uh, what have I been up to this week? I've been on the phone with dealing with these um, hurricane people. And uh, Hurricane Delta. Every time I say that, what do I do? I sing Delta Dawn. And I'm like, it's so stupid. So I've been on hold a lot this week. And I realized that during COVID, I've become pretty numb. Because <laughs> I'm like, eh. People are like. on hold? Yeah. And people are irritated. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Your trip's screwed up. Fuck it. I'm sorry. Like, I, like, I was like, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? Now I'm like, eh. Yeah, so this week it was like a lot of, uh, this was kind of a mm, week, but I'm going to Jamaica next week with Dan, so that'll be fun. Okay. Yeah, we're going next Friday. We leave next Thursday night, and we're going for a week with some friends, and that will be good. So yeah, this week was kind of boring, not as much fun as other weeks. I'd like to make more money. I'd like to book some more trips. Yeah, I guess. How was your week? Good, good. Yeah, uh, I am most excited about my weekend. It's going to be my <gasps> bachelor right. party. We're going down to San Diego. Staying at the Kimpton. Got 12 of us. Guys so you're like, what do you guys do? I have no idea. I'm <laughs> reluctantly going. You know, we're to the age where half the guys who are coming have little children and they're Ooh. mostly coming to sleep and uh, relax. <laughs> um, and so I'm just there to put the stamp of approval on the weekend that I showed up. Honestly. That's hilarious. Half of them are there to sleep. So it's not like a strippy club kind of got group of guys. Can you even do that during COVID? I'm not sure if that's... Oh, you know what's so funny? I think at the beginning they said that they did <laughs> in Vegas. I remember reading that there was drive-through strip clubs. Can you imagine? I'm like drive-through wow. strip. Like, come on, there's porn online. Like, you don't have to drive. But I was like, you know, you kind of feel bad for these. I mean, you know, I'm sex positive. I'm not saying that I I like that for myself or my spouse. But I'm like, if people want that or if this is their job, I'm like, that probably was kind of a bummer. They lost a lot of money. I'm not a huge Vegas fan. I don't like like you get there and they have all the like, hey, this woman can come to your room. I don't like that because I think there's a lot of temptation for people that don't need it. But that's so funny. I remember when my kids were little and I was, I'm not creative. And somebody invited me to scrapbook and I was like, I don't care what we're doing. We're going away for a weekend. I'll do it. I was like, I don't have to do anything. I just need right. to get away and not have to get up and make breakfast and feed. Like I'm, I hate cooking. So I'd look at my kids and go, you have to eat again Ugh. every day, every day you have to eat, you know, and just, uh, being a parent, at least 18 years. I mean, probably 25 <laughs> these days. Um, yeah, Definitely. yeah. The, ho- the hotel's got this really rad rooftop pool and it's downtown. Is it open? Yeah. Yeah. It's open and you know, it's, it's walkable to a lot of stuff. So in San Diego, what do you do? You go to breweries, um, you go for, and are they open along the beach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mostly outdoors. I think, San Diego just went to some capacity inside, but cool. 
like everywhere, people are, you know, sort of testing their boundaries. Interesting. Going back to a point you just made, um, I'm really interested to see, I don't know if you guys heard about this in local news. It's pretty interesting. The state of California has introduced all of these like new restrictions and guidelines that, and who basically hoops to jump through if Disneyland wants to reopen. And I'm, everybody's just kind of waiting around here being like, is it going to happen? I mean, it's, seriously. Yeah. It's what's it's interesting. Be is very like challenging. The world is open, right? Yeah, a different state. Well, I know that. <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> I've yeah. been to both. I actually went to Disney World in 1980. I woke up there on my 10th birthday. Um, and then I got in trouble because I was in the Contemporary Hotel and I was throwing ice on people. <laughs> and I got Oops. yelled at. Oops. Yeah, I didn't realize that gravity, that's when I learned about gravity, that if you're on the 10th floor, it's going to hurt them a lot more when ice hits them. I didn't realize you were such a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> the last child. I had to get my attention. So I was just with my dad who wouldn't ride on any ride. So I was by myself, but I'm surprised that Disney world, I mean, Disneyland hasn't taken Disney world's like ideas and said, Oh, this is working. We can do this here. I mean, yeah. well, I think they probably have that and they know that, but the, but the state is more restrictive here. Um, So like, for example, Knott's Berry farm universal, like none of those are opening either. So, um, you know, God, think of all those jobs. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts about this time is that every city, state, county, restaurant, they all everybody has different rules. It's almost like they're making it up. Yep. Like well, people are it just is flying by the seat of their pants. And now the know? numbers are going up. I think there's only like four states that aren't going up. And believe it or not, we're one of them, which is unbelievable. So yeah, they're going back up. So who knows what's gonna happen? I mean, you the people we were with last night are like, Yeah, it's going up. Who you know, but is it bad? I mean, no one really dies anymore. And I was like, so we have a different opinion. We obviously have different politics, but that's okay. I was like, I, I don't know what's happening with the, with the vaccine. And every single person I talk to says they won't take it. So I was yeah. like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is going to become like, oh, we have the flu, or is this going to become like any other thing that we have? And then we just have to learn to deal with it. I have no clue. I mean, it's gotten to, to a point. Yeah. Like, you know, you're wearing a mask and learning to see people. I, mean, I was putting a check in the bank yesterday going, I bet robbers are really excited because like now they can like walk around without anyone seeing their face or famous people because they're covered up and no one can know who they are. So you get more freedom. Hiding from the paparazzi, you know? Yeah. Well, I do all the time. So Um, that would suck to be followed by the paparazzi. They would get me on my work. I say this every time. They would never get me today. They'd get me yesterday where I was wearing the same clothes for two days, no bra, going to the bank. Yeah, I hardly run ever in the house anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> I left the house yesterday, first time in a week. And I was like, I know, Susan, you have to intentionally do it. <laughs> I'm like, you got to get out. Susan, you got to go. I got to um, go pick up my koozies. Well, I know our guest has a has a hot date at 1030 for a uh, girl's walk. So I, I want to bring her on. Woohoo! Start to uh, bring her into this conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, my mother, who will go by either the name Mama Joy or Mama Colt to our podcast. And the reason that uh, we're bringing her on is uh, she's got some tremendous travel stories, some travel follies, some travel bloopers. She's been all over the world, most famously uh, in her uh, early days. Probably one, one of, we'll say, her career highlights was as a flight attendant for Braniff. And then I think from then she's got the travel bug and has been everywhere with friends and family members. And so I'm interested to hear some new stories today. I'm interested to learn more about stories that I have heard about. And so with that, I would like to uh, welcome my mother, Joy, Mama Joy, to the show. Woohoo! 
Good morning, Susan and Coulter. Thank you so much for inviting me this morning. Oh, we love it. I, I have to tell you, I'm reading through your bio, and this is what stand, this is what I see. Mile High Club. What cabin is the Virgin? <laughs> Bugs. You're just, you're just picking out the hot. I know. I mean. Well, it's my anniversary, so I was like, "What? What is wrong with me today?" I'm like, "Okay, she has a history. It is good." <laughs> Susan is not a sex fiend. <laughs> oh my God. That's a different podcast. That's a different that's what, podcast. Yes, I know. I know. That is that that's that is definitely. So yeah, it was funny. I was like, well, how am I picking that up? We have all these things. Anyhow, it's awesome so, to hear from you. Let's just kick this off here. You know, welcome. Let's let's jump right into the meat of it. Tell us about how you got into the travel industry. All right. Um, when your dad's an airline pilot, Coulter, how can you not get into the travel industry? Uh, two brothers, neither one of them wanted to be a pilot. So, of course, I'm daddy's little girl. I'm the one who's going to be a flight attendant. A lot of my friends were nurses, teachers. That's what they would play when they were a little girl. Me, I set up the dining room chairs in two by two, and I was a stewardess. Oh, did you get to wear a cool outfit? Like a hat? Uh, that, was, that was when I was actually a flight attendant. Oh, and but you played flight attendant as a child. Yes, I, I played it. Yes. I played banker. <laughs> oh, There's something wrong with me. I played with money. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably smarter. You probably made more money than I did. It was super but, boring for my friends, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I took all their money, and they're like, How, how's this a game? I'm like, this is how you learn. <laughs> <sighs> well, uh, my father flew DC-3s and Convairs, which were prop uh, planes back then. He flew for a regional carrier, North Central, which were the five states out of Minnesota. So when I was a little girl, he would take me on the uh, flights with him when he would do turnarounds. Turnarounds is where he would go out in the morning and come back at night. And back then, because the DC-3 did not go where the cabin was pressurized, he needed me to be passing out chiclets. And that's dating myself. Wow. They would pass out the little two packages of chewing gum to all the passengers so that it would help them with the pressure on their ears. That's crazy that he could just have you get on a plane compared to what we do now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think I I I might have messed this up. We might need to go back and hear about... A little bit about Joy's brief bio, uh, because I think we need to get some context on the um, the interesting career path that you've taken, and maybe just go into just some short snippets about your life, real quick here, just so that we can then jump back into why you're an expert on travel. Do you, do you have maybe just a minute you could just tell us your your bio? Yeah. Okay. The Reader's Digest condensed version. Okay. <laughs> Uh, when I got out of high school, you want to go back that far? Um, I was a long distance, I, I was a long distance operator, uh, like Ernest being the operator with the pull cords. I love it. But that enabled me to go to the University of Minnesota because Ma Bell uh, paid for my college at night at the University of Minnesota. Wow. However, uh, being a pull cord operator, pretty boring, eight to five. And so my dad would keep slipping the uh, employment application under my plate on Sunday dinners. And I really wanted to go uh, be a flight attendant for United, but they weren't hiring at the time. So he put a uh, Northwest, uh, that was Northwest. 
Probably. Yeah. <laughs> he put a Braniff. And Braniff back then was uber cool because they had the Poochie uniforms. And so... Poochie uh, uniforms? P-U-C-C-I. Poochie is an uh, Italian designer. So we were ultra cool because we had designer uniforms. Ooh. Yeah. But if I knew then what I know now, I would have gone with Southwest because Southwest was a regional carrier out of Dallas and they wore hot pants and go-go boots. Okay. Hot pants and go-go boots versus Pucci, Italian designer. Yeah. I wanted to go with Braniff. Question. Was it blue and purple your your uniform it was hot pink oh because they have one that says 1974 iconic emilio pucci for braniff used is worth twenty eight hundred dollars yeah well um (laughs) these are these are crazy cool oh and then if you go further after pucci we had halston Uh, oh do you remember who halston was halston's from texas right halston no i think halston was new york Oh, yeah. did you wear that cap too? Oh, the, the bubble? Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, but I wore the blue felt one. It was, you know, like. Oh my God. These are awesome. Okay. And so, so basically you went from Minnesota to Braniff and then that brought you to Texas. And then what happened? Yep. Braniff was my way out of Minnesota and I uh, moved to, to uh, Dallas and Dallas was my eye opener. Little girl from Minnesota. When I went to do my in-person um, interview, they told me I didn't have enough makeup on. Um, so they put this solid blue eyeshadow on me, a lot more makeup. And when I actually got hired, I realized why. Because three of my uh, roommates at Flatterton Academy were Miss Fort Worth. Miss Duncanville and Miss Curtis Eulis Bedford. And they all had the false eyes. They were all beauty queens. Yes. They all had the fair faucet hairdo, the big Texas bouffant hairdo. And that's what they were looking for. Yes. After Braniff went under, they were one of the first that went uh, belly up because of deregulation. I I read an article in Wall Street Journal that said uh, from a financial advisor that he advised all of his clients to buy Braniff stock because Braniff had the best looking flight attendants. And yet all those people lost so heavy when Braniff went under. So it wasn't such a good financial investment. Do not ever- Airlines never are. uh, Don't buy stocks based on the hot flight attendants. Moral of the story. Southwest isn't a bad buy, but that's, they kind of run a different business model these days. That's so funny. That I didn't know Southwest was around that long. They were oh really gosh. they were just starting with the triangle then. Huh. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in Chicago. So Chicago, we were united. And then my dad flew. Well, I flew Braniff, but we flew, you know, it's funny because you my dad's flown since the 50s. I've flown since the 70s. You know, and it one side it's sad because like the DC 10 was my favorite, then the seven uh 747, and those are all gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like now we're down to the Shit, 737. I hate that aircraft. Yeah, did you just yesterday, Susan, that uh, British Airways, um, their 747 just flew its last flight? Yep, because there's a there's a nonstop from Phoenix to London. It's a big one for going to London. Although, if people want to use miles, it's a bad way to go because London has a tax. Um, so now it's going to 777s, which are fine. They're great planes, but, you know, it's a two-engine aircraft. And I'm like, 747s with upstairs, downstairs? Like, wow, people won't have that experience? I'm like, it's just so weird. Can yeah. we segue to this, my 747 upper lounge story? Yes. 
please. Since we're talking about 747, so Granite had Fat Albert, which is their iconic orange 747. The route was Dallas to Honolulu seven days a week. Uh, I was flying first class one time, working the upper lounge, and, um, uh, and this was back when you could drink as, as much as you wanted as long as you weren't rowdy. So they were pretty inebriated. The two of them went into the one restroom up on the upper lounge. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we heard, you know, rocking and rolling going on there, but they were having a good time. Well, then we got ready to land in Honolulu and we couldn't get the door open. So, <laughs> They weren't in their seat. They were still in the bathroom. No, I mean, they were, you know, in there a long time. I mean, it's nine hours from uh, (laughs) Dallas to Honolulu. And so uh, we just, you know, let them land in there. And then we kept knocking when we landed and we couldn't get them out. So we had to uh, call security. A little security opened them up and yeah, they they were the mile mile high company, mile high. And um, they passed out. Oh no! So they were naked. Oh my God! This is going to yeah. drive me sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, they weren't quite naked, but um, they were depantsed. Oh boy! Oh, that's Good times. All I think yeah, of is that movie. Tommy found boy. her underwear in the trash. Oh no! So, yeah. so stupid. So, yeah, that's my mile that. high uh, in the first class lounge on a seven forty seven. Memorable. Oh, uh, that's that's fun. <laughs> I yeah. flown in first class on the DC ten. I remember when you used to get crystal and. Plates, oh. and, yeah, it was beautiful. So and my the dad, white tablecloth. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. My dad flew half the year, so we could go anywhere, and we were lucky enough to travel. And then we would fly. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was a one K member with United Forever. So mm. yeah, it was really, really nice. And now you fly first class, and it's almost like flying coach the way it used to be. I mean, mm. it's really not that great. I mean, now all you get with COVID is if you're in first class, you get drinks. I asked, I said this before, I asked for water and coach the other day and they're like, no, you didn't bring water. And I'm like, sorry, I will stay to myself. I, that, how rude. Well, I just think right now, you know, they don't, they don't want to offer anything that they don't have to, you know, going down the aisles and stuff like that. That's kind of suck though. Like, what are they, what do they do the whole time? I watched some of them, they have Kindles. And they read because I'm like, what are they doing now? They're not passing anything out. They're there for safety, really. Yes, they are. They are yes. there to help us in safety. Yeah, it's, so it's you different. Have no, you have no idea how many uh, pillows I needle pointed on your <laughs> flights on the back jump seat. Yeah. Oh, what I we do imagine. is we needle point. Yeah, that is so funny. They do. They sit there and read because you're like, it, it, it's like, a, what's the famous quote that it's like hours of boredom with seconds of thrill as a pilot? Yeah, moments I, of sheer terror. Yeah. I want to get my pilot's license. I do want to do that. So someday when I'm not dealing with COVID. What was it like going through flight attendant school back in that era? Like what year did this happen? Was this in like the seventies basically? Yep. I okay. got, um, May of 1974 was a life changer for me. But if I hadn't gone under, I'd still be there. I'd have 48 years in with them. Yeah. I, best job. Loved that job. But I can relate to all these millennials now that lose, you know, think that they have job security and then they get the pink slip. When Braniff went under that day, I was in the air and all the planes got called back to Dallas. And when you're looking down at DFW and you see all the jelly bean planes, because our planes were all multicolored and they're all sitting on the tarmac, you're going, Holy shit, my life is about to change. Wow. Plane uh, pulls up to the jetway. You get out, you look at all the monitors and all the monitors are black. Wow. So 
Was what year was that? That was 1982. Okay, so we just we just jumped ahead about eight years. There's a lot of travel that happened in the, in those eight years, I bet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What I would do is because I didn't like flying domestic, um, I much preferred flying international. So I would always what they call trip trade. And trip trade is when you put your trips into a book and see what charters are available. Or if a senior mama, a senior mama was somebody who with a lot of seniority wanted off her trip, you could put your trip back into the pool and take something else. So that's how I got to South, all over South America. Branham had South American routes and that's how I got there. That's how I got to Bermuda. That's how I got to Senegal was flying all these charters. We did a lot with Peace Corps flying charters. And also that's how um, I would fly to um, Honolulu and pick up what they would call MAC trips. MAC trips are military where we would bring the military back from Southeast Asia. And one of the trips that I remember was, this was back during, I can't remember what they called it, but it was back when we were bringing all the Vietnamese over. And we would have whole flights of Vietnamese immigrants. And I remember that we would have to do, you know, your seatbelt, your air. And um, then we would also have to do uh, diaper demonstrations because Vietnamese didn't know what diapers were. And And then the little old men, they didn't know what restrooms were. So they would then climb up on top of their seats and squat and that's- No way. No way. We were used to. And then it took a while with the uh, Vietnamese uh, immigrants because they would cater American food. And then they would all get sick on us because it was too rich. And so they realized that they only should put rice and chicken on those flights because it was what their natural diet was. So besides being um, a flight attendant, which was good times, it's also you learn so much about other people's cultures, Susan. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's the best part about travel. I think that that's what people miss out on. You know, I have so many clients that are like, oh, we only go to Disney or we want to stay domestic. And I'm like, you've got to go and be uncomfortable and learn and, you know, get somewhere else. And you don't do that by staying here in Arizona or America and stuff like that. So that's crazy. I think that you guys worked a lot harder as a flight attendant than anybody did. I don't mean that to discredit flight attendants, but then flight attendants do now. I just think because you had to do more. I mean, remember when there were smoking sections on an airplane? Oh. Like, I mean, oh. oh, sure. Smoke will stay in the back and then you can sit up front. Like, what if you were that row? What if it was like row 15 was smoking and you were row 14? Right. So, yeah. And then, you know, we got food. All of us got food and there was a lot more that went on. And now it's like, that's why I'm like, I look at them and I go, they're not really doing anything. Now, if something happens, like Dan got a bloody nose once on the triple seven, you thought life was over. I mean, there was this, I love gay people. I have gay brother. I love him. This gay flight attendant. And I seriously, he shit a brick. Dan's bleeding. And the guy's like, oh my God, everyone get out of the way. And he like drapes him because it's blood. And it was like HIV. And I was like- Dude, it was dry air. He had a bloody nose. I'm just asking if you got some tissue. Oh, no. Draped everything. Everyone had to get out of the row. I was like, okay. Got you up. You had something to do for seven hours. <laughs> it is different, Susan, because they were actually, you know, they're secret shoppers. They yeah. would be actually like secret supervisors. They would sit there and make sure that you were like every 10 minutes walking up and down the aisle, 
with either uh, water or can I get you coffee? You know, it was just different then. Do you remember how they used to put trays, whole trays for a meal? And I used to be able to, we would work in tandem and someone would load me up with the trays and I could carry 20 trays at a time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because that way, you know, 20 trays at a time, you just cleaned up the aircraft in no time flat. But these people that were cute, they would just take one tray and one tray and go back. And we'd go, honey, got to get moving. Got it. You know, we got to pick up these trays because we're fixing to land in New York. Right. And we can't land with trays. Yeah. There's there's <laughs> one story that I'm seeing here in, in her bio that I just want to ask about. So can you just tell us about flight attendant school? That's that's something that I think is very different than anything we've seen in modern times. You definitely cannot do any of this stuff anymore. I'm, I'm interested to just hear a little bit more about that. Oh, flight attendant school. So when you got hired with Branna, flight attendant school was off Wycliffe Drive in uh, downtown Dallas. And we went, because at the time hiring, they were hiring one right after the other. So we went seven days a week. We learned. Um, this was 1974. I okay. am four years old. Four years old. Woo, woo, woo. And thanks, Susan, for interjecting that. <laughs> well, Coulter's not even born. So, you know. That's true. I was a, a, a wild and crazy flight attendant. Coulter was nowhere on the horizon. So besides having all of these unbelievable, beautiful uh, roommates, we would have safety, which was um, how do you deplane a 747, everybody going down the slide. And so we would practice going down the slide. Um, in heels, or, right? In Ferragamo heels. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to sell Ferragamos on eBay. Those okay, are and one size fits all, Susan. Those shoes hurt your feet oh, so yeah. bad. God. Um, so yeah, you're in heels. Um, you do have to take off your heels when you get on the slide, but also you have to learn how do you crank that um, handle on a right. 747 door or a 727 door, and then you actually physically flip the door. You pull it out right. and you put it into the seat. And we would actually have to do that. So wow. you would have to have upper body strength in order to pull that door and put it there. Masks. Um, we would have first aid. But I think what Coulter liked was we had a woman, Margaret Kincaid, who was in charge of beauty. We also had to have beauty classes. No and way. Margaret, and Margaret took it seriously. Oh, my gosh. So you had to look a certain way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had a reputation. But more than that was back in the early 70s was when panty girdles were on their way out and pantyhose was on their way in. And this was before control top pantyhose. And so we- I remember they came in those eggs. Remember those? The eggs? Yeah, yes, I love those because I, my mom would get them and then I could play with those. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could recycle them for uh, Easter. Exactly. But, uh, big, big. <laughs> um, Legs. Oh, my gosh. So when we would come in in the morning for the beauty classes, she would have a dime on the chair. And you swear to God, because I looked it up last night because um, I wanted to get a little bit more material. And everybody talked about Margaret Kincaid and the dime. Was then you would sit down, but you know how you put your knees together and then you tilt them to the side and you cross oh. your ankle underneath. And in that stance, then you had to squish 
your ass together, pick up that dime so that your butt was tight and your stomach was tucked in and then you would sit up. And if you lost your dime, you'd have to, yeah, Margaret would keep that's doing a really good. That's, that's ridiculous. That's a really good exercise. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I'm trying. Yes, yes. I can't believe that was actually something they legitimately did in the workplace. Can you imagine yeah. that being on your like code of conduct right now with your job? And just so you know, we're going to have a dime that you have to pick up with your thighs and not drop. My mom yeah. taught me to dive that She didn't way. say thighs, Susan. She did oh. not say thighs. Oh, I she did. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was there. Where'd you put it? Your knee? No, between your cheeks. Oh, your butt. Oh, I'm your sorry. Butt between your cheeks. Yeah. Oh, there? Oh, that's even... She seriously had you pick up a dime with your ass? Yeah, yeah, well, wow. that yeah that's even worse. Oh There's God. no way that's going to happen. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Here's, here's I'm also, they're not hiring 50-year-old flight attendants, so. So now when you get on a plane and you're screwed <laughs> I'm going to look at their asses. Yeah, go. There is no way, honey, you can pick up a dime. You yeah. do look at some of them and you go, you've been on this way too long. Yeah, maybe, There's no way. You know, not even a dollar bill. You couldn't even be a lap dancer because you can't pick up a dime. No. Hey, moving right along here. So. <laughs> well, the 747s did have those poles upstairs, you know. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I know. But anyway, so this was back when airlines were hiring a lot of gay men because that was back when HIV was rampant. Uh, and yeah. I lost so, so many of my guy friends to HIV, but the guys all had to hold out their hands and Margaret would go down and check all their manicures because oh Margaret was, yes, male flight attendants back then had to have, you know, incredibly looking hands because when you would hand off coffee or you would hand off, you know, ha- hands is important. I, it's funny. It's that's, that is one thing I look at. I think a nice groomed man is nice. Mm-hmm. I think when I tell my son, I'm like, you know, you might, you can be dirty, but trim yourself. Keep, keep clean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question here. Did you ever have to go through an emergency as a flight attendant for real? Never did. Well, but I see I was flying during that era when they were hijacking planes over in, oh. um, in, yeah. in yeah. the Middle East. So then we had to incorporate hijacking safety training. Well, it's really interesting is a psychology. Then you would learn the psychology of a hijacker. And you didn't want to cozy up to a hijacker and be his mom because a lot of hijackers have mom issues. You didn't want to cozy up to then befriend a hijacker and be his girlfriend because a lot of hijackers have girlfriend issues. <laughs> okay, this is, you know, isn't this just normal life is all these guys have all these women problems. That's why they hijack airplanes, obviously. Yes, but that was part of training. So what, so what would you do to dismantle them? Like, what, what, what was their thought? You just say yes? You try to, yeah, just be submissive. Oh, fuck that. Uh-huh. I could never be a flight attendant then. <laughs> I'm not good at submissive. That's not a good role for me. I'd be like this the whole time. Because quiet, be quiet, be quiet. So during, during that era, you know, from 74 to 82, do you have like maybe one or two stories you can share from traveling around the world? Um, let's see. I used to love flying the Alaskan interchange, the Alaskan interchange where it was where Anna flew a 727 from Houston to Seattle and the Alaskan airlines crew would get on 
uh, in Seattle and fly it to Fairbanks and up to Anchorage. It would give us about 15 hours in Seattle. So the crew would get off, get a uh, car, and we would go to Snoqualmie. We would go to Issaquah. We would go down to the market. We just stayed up because Seattle has so much to offer. It's an incredible city, as are the outlying areas. So then we would pick it back up when it came through at midnight um, and fly it back to Houston. Well, the Alaskan Interchange was a lot of your Houston oil workers who were gruff and rough, and they were making a boatload of money. So um, they would spend it on first class. And so we always had what they would call rough riders in first class. And one time, again, because they didn't limit alcohol intake, um, had a uh, gentleman who drank quite a bit, uh, went to the restroom, locked himself in there. And as we're getting ready to land in Houston, we're knocking and knocking and he had fallen against the door. So we couldn't open the door. So we got the engineer out. The engineer opened the um, door. And uh, note to self, folks, we can open the door. We know how to open the door from the outside. So, and then he fell out because he passed out, deep pantsed with a woody. I don't know what he was doing in that restroom. But um, the engineer then lifted him, put him into 1B. We threw a blanket over him. And um, then we got to Houston. He was met by security who helped him off. Oh, that's awful. So after you were a flight attendant, and then you you started a family. You've continued to travel with your with your mom, my grandmother, with your friends, um, who I think you have a special nickname for that group. Travel has been a big part of who you are. So I just wanted to start of explore some of that story, sort of after this seventy four to eighty two era, which I think we may have to have you know you and some of your friends back on because I know you you've got a lot of flight attendant friends from Pan Am to all sorts of different airlines, and so we could almost have a whole different segment on on that. I feel so. Let's just jump into some of this other stuff that you wanted us to to talk to you about. Yes, I would travel with my mother, and I have done twenty years worth of traveling with the Joy Luck Club. Um, my best friends. But I think um, I'll just give you a nanny story. Nanny was my mom. And um, I'm sorry, nanny? Nanny. N- nanny, like who took care of Coulter when he was two? No, nanny, oh. like. No. <laughs> it was confusing. So we're going to bring in this nanny thing. It keeps coming. It keeps yeah. coming. We know, I know. I know. I know he had a nanny when he was 12 and he's just not telling us. From like Yugoslavia or something. Because they're obviously not from here. Because, you know, we already know your your issues. <laughs> Okay, Manny, you're, I'm sorry. Manny, N-A-N-N-Y, Manny. My mom was Nanny. That so, is hilarious. That is your problem, Coulter. Um, maybe he that should was- go to hijacking and learn about women profiles, Nanny profiles. <laughs> is that her legal name? No, it's like grandma or grandmother, Nanny. Oh, Nanny. Nanny. Uh, my mom's Mimi. So I took Nanny one time to um, La Paz, Bolivia. Oh. And um, we get off the plane. We take the cab to the um, train station because we were going to then take the train to Lake Titicaca. And I, being the American tourist in my polyester suit, and I know enough Spanish that I go, ¿Dónde está la primera clase? 
which is where's first class. And um, so I pay for first class on the train. I pay for first class on the boat across Lake Titicaca. And we get to the platform and as soon as the train pulls up, it's push shove. Everybody's just onboarding onto the train. And I keep going, don't they sell a Primera Classic? But we get on because the train's about to take off. We get to the boat to cross uh, the lake. And again, you know, I've got my mom, I've got the luggage, don't they still have Premier Classic? And everybody's just shoving. Well, come to find out, there is no La Premier Classic. It's first <laughs> first serve. I got, what is that, bait and switched. Yeah, my first example of bait and switch. And my mom and I end up on a hay bale in... No. Uh, what, what would it be called? General, GA, general admission. You're on, like Titicaca on a, like a ferry boat is a long trip. And everybody shoved on there. And yeah, I'm sleeping on a hay bale with my mom. And the South American <laughs> Latino lovers are getting it on around us. <laughs> So that's not something you There's a theme. That would be awesome. Am I on the right podcast show today? (laughs) I feel like it keeps coming back. We're talking. It's anniversary. There's love in the air. Love in the air. Yeah, okay. So um, this is my infamous uh, projectile vomiting story. Oh, yes. Is I flew from JFK to Jayburg, which is 17 hours. I just did that. And so it was two, six, two on the aircraft. And my girlfriend and I were in the two. She was by the window. I was on the aisle. Middle of the night, uh, flying over the Atlantic. And on South Africa, I love South African airways. I just did that flight a year ago. (laughs) They're, They're wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Best best part is you can get South African pinotage wine. Oh, yes. And they're little carts and they're all South African that work there. I love it. So in my seat back, you know, 17 hours, I have my book. I have my headset. I have a bottle of water. I have the wrappers from my baggies. And so the seat back was loaded with junk. And about in the middle of the night, I'm watching the Black Swan with Natalie Portman. I'm I'm sweating. I'm starting to get dizzy. I'm going, oh my God, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And so I put my head down between my legs thinking that, you know, I'm going to pass out. And I realized... Uh, I need to get to the bathroom. And so I can't get into my seat back to get the bark bag because I have too much shit in there. (laughs) So moral of the story is don't put so much stuff in your seat. As I was getting up and because I was in the aisle and I was turning to go to the back, I had projectile vomiting all over on the passenger on the other side of me. Oh, no. And was he asleep? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> so, oh my god. Can you imagine waking up to that? And what did he, he do? He slept through it. No. And then I went to the bathroom and you know, um then after that, issue, I, sir. I, I felt much better. <laughs> but after I knew that um I needed to go back. That was, you know, then we the coffee. So I went back and got the coffee and I sprinkled it all over the the floor and I went. Um, sir, can I have your jacket? I, you know, he woke up and he's, you know, but then he goes, you're fine. You're fine. And so he went to bed to sleep. I went back to sleep. And the next morning I'm going, I am so sorry. You know, can I have your email address? And, you know, what can I do to make this up? And Susan, moral of the story is if you're going to throw up on somebody, throw up on somebody that's really interesting because then he and I started talking and he had the highest um, clearance from the government because he was a rocket scientist out of Colorado Springs. No. Yeah. So choose wisely when you throw up on somebody on an airplane. <laughs> 
That is a good point. We have a game and right now I'm ahead because I like to win. I feel like, I feel like you're going to make the numbers fit so that, yeah. No, okay, I only, so we're I on a team, like Mama so Joy. You're on, a te- you're on a team with your son. We're on okay. a team. I will ask you question number one. These are all okay. travel related. What does supersonic mean? It is it A, faster than the speed of sound, B, really loud, or C, faster than the speed of light? A. Yeah, we'll go with A. You are correct. Okay. Okay, we're, we're one up, Coulter. You are. Who invented the rocket? Uh, the Chinese, the Japanese, or the Russians? Chinese. Holder? I'm going to say maybe the Russians, but we'll go with Chinese. <sighs> She's right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Did uh, you come back on again? Yeah. Okay. And then who invented the kite 2,000 years ago? That's the Chinese. The How Japanese. is that travel related? Is this up? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the kite is what inspired people to go, Oh, maybe I can get my shit up there. Okay, fair enough. I mean, think about that. Think about it. Somebody said, I bet I can get my body up there with a kite. Because kites had, you know, that's the whole... I mean, God, they had to be so fucking scared. I can't even imagine being like, hey, who wants to go up on my airplane? Uh, So it's either Japanese, Chinese, or the Russians. For the kite? Who invented the kite? And that was 2,000 years ago. Chinese, because it was the Mongolians. I want to say Japanese. Um, okay, we'll go. We'll go with your answer. It was the Japanese. <laughs> you got I two out of Japanese. three right. You guys, you're smart. You guys, you guys are in sync, man. Was Coulter a really good baby? Oh, the best. Yeah, the I can best. See that. Yeah. Any of you have any good stories that you can like reveal about Coulter that he would want the oh, whole world yes. to know? Okay. okay. <laughs> Coulter started speaking at nine months, and his first word was dono. Dono? Dono. And the I don't reason, know. He didn't say dada or mama. He said dono because I fed him a lot of donut holes. Oh. <laughs> Told you, I'm a recovering fat kid. <laughs> I thought it was I don't know, like dono. No, dono. Dono. Donut holes. <laughs> dono. Backstage Travel Podcast is hosted by Susan Green and Coulter Fleming. Editing, producing, and managing by Mackenzie Green. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Visit our Facebook page and send us your travel stories at info at backstagetravelpodcast.com. Susan and her team at Susan's Travel Services have a passion for what they do and want to get you to your dream destination. They're so dedicated to giving you the experience of a lifetime that they'll help you at no cost. To learn more, find them online at Susan's Travel services.com.